Hey, Harlan, good morning. How are you? Uh, just saw an awesome picture of Move and Movement, our fall kickoff that happened a couple weeks ago. But before we go any further, I just want to celebrate with you. It's tough to get up here on stage, and McKenna rocked it. So can you just celebrate her for a second? We love getting to see that. Uh, well, hey, my name is DJ Tolley. I'm the high school pastor here, and I'm so glad that you have joined us. Whether you're in the room with us or you're watching online, we're seriously so glad that you have joined us this morning. Uh, I was working on this message this week at Lenexa Public Market, Monday, Tuesday, uh, and it's like in the morning, and it's some nice, crisp fall air, finally. Uh, and I'm just sitting there, and I, I sit back for a second in the morning, and this nice, beautiful air, and I say, God, thank you so much that it's finally fall. And here we are with almost 100 degree temperatures again. So I'm sorry for whatever I said in that prayer that brought the heat back. Um, but uh, it happens. And this idea of a second summer, right, really isn't that, like, secret to me. I grew up in Oklahoma. We're used to second summers. It's one of our seven seasons. Um, in Oklahoma, if you're not familiar, we have seven seasons. We, we start with winter, of course, and we move into fool's spring, uh, tornado season, summer, fall, second summer, uh, and then road construction is the last season of weather in Oklahoma. And actually, if you're in the building today, you might see that we're actually in road construction season here as well. Um, and so a fun thing, a fun season that we're in. Uh, I, like I said, I grew up in Oklahoma. I don't know if anyone relates to this. My summers as, as a kid in Oklahoma were filled with summer league baseball, like little league baseball. Anybody do baseball, little league as a kid, a little bit? Uh, I loved this. I got to do it every summer. And I've got a picture of it. This is me after our uh, eight and under tournament championship. Um, now, what I won't tell, what I won't show you, if you zoom out, see, the thing is, I loved baseball, and I love baseball, and I love sports. The secret is that you can't tell anyone this because it's, it's a thing. I'm really bad at sports. Um, and so I don't play them, I just tell people that I'm not. But if you zoomed out on this picture, you'd see that everyone on the whole entire team is dirty and sweaty and covered in grass stains and all that, except for one person on the whole team. That would be me. I am the one person that was in the dugout the whole entire time, and that's okay. It was nice and cool in the shade, and we rock with it. So um, believe it or not, I was actually this age right here when I fell in love with Kansas City. Uh, like most eight-year-olds, it wasn't the Royals or the Chiefs that made me know I wanted to live in Kansas City someday. It wasn't the barbecue. Like most eight-year-olds, what drew me to Kansas City was actually the grass. Um, maybe you relate to me on that. Maybe you don't. I have family in Lenexa. And we would come up here all the time to visit them on, on breaks and Thanksgiving and all the things. And we came up here one Thanksgiving to visit them. And uh, now being from Oklahoma, green grass is one sight to see. Like we don't see a lot of green grass in the first place. But green grass in November was really pretty cool. And I still kind of get chills thinking about it to this day because it was just that important to me apparently. Um, I love my job and I love that I get to work with students. I love that I get to work with a team of people who love students, but I love students partly because they remind me of how awkward I was. Like students are awkward. Parents, you want to call your kids out for a sec? Like anybody have awkward kids in the room? A couple hands went up. There was someone in the first service that was like calling out her individual children. Like, you are awkward, and you are, like, is, uh, we felt that. So uh, I love the awkwardness of students. And part of my awkward childhood experience in middle school, like every good Christian boy does, I went to church camp to flirt. Um, Bear with me here. Okay, so uh, went to church camp every summer. I had all these rehearsed pickup lines that I would that I would use, and so I would like walk up to people and I'd go, like, I'd go, Hey, girl, uh, I was reading the Bible and the Book of Numbers last night, and I realized that yours wasn't in it. 
This is what the youths call WRIZ today. Um, and so you can take notes on that or you can just not use that because that's creepy. But thankfully, I made it out of the monster that's high school and middle school. And I went to college at Southwestern Oklahoma State University in Weatherford, Oklahoma. Any bulldogs in the house? No. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. Uh, so it was actually in college, I started serving in student ministry and being called to student ministry. I worked at a high school camp, uh, the, same, the same kind of camp that I went to in middle school, and that was actually where I met why, my wife, which was awesome. The, the, the awkward part of that is that, remember that camp I said I was at that I flirted with everyone at? Uh, she was there, and I never flirted with her. Uh, and so after six years of working that out, I'm happy that we could finally get married. Um, and we, wanted, we knew we, ended, we wanted to end up in Kansas City. Uh, we just didn't know how or when that was going to happen. And then I started getting texts from this guy. This is Shabu, our, one of our family pastors. Uh, I really needed a reason to use this picture. So um, this is Shabu. And I started getting texts like this. If you can't read the font at the bottom, it says, I cannot wait to share the gospel with you. And this is him with some popsicles. Weiler's popsicles is what is, uh, is that. So I, this is not actually a text from when I was coming on staff here. This is from about a month ago. I really just needed a reason to embarrass my boss. With that, it's been fun knowing you. Um, it's super great. No, uh, Shabu's awesome to work with. And that's really part, one of my like, favorite things about my job is that I get to work with Shabu and Sagan, our, our middle school pastor. They're some of my best friends in ministry and in life, and I'm so grateful that I get to work with them. And they make what we do move our middle school ministry and move in our high school ministry possible. And I actually want to know, are there any movement peeps in the house right now? Yeah. That's all you got? <laughs> Thank you. We do have a few moving people in the house. Uh, every Wednesday at 6.30, we have students from over 15 high schools across Kansas City, even as far as like Eudora uh, and Gardner that drive in and come here to make space for building relationships that make Jesus first. Well, we just finished a series called Heartland, and in that series, we looked back over the last four, uh, the, the heartbeats of what make us who we are and how we, we are as a church, how we came to be. Uh, and in this process of coming to Heartland and me coming on staff, I found this like reoccurring theme that was kind of buried in who we are as a church. And it's that we love the next generation. Uh, it was something that was so attractive to me that I just couldn't get out of my head how when the next generation is brought up here, it's with a sense of excitement and not a sense of fear. And over the last four weeks, maybe you've been here if you haven't, I, I hope that if you were here the last couple weeks, you've caught that it's really important to us, the next generation. Now, when you work with the next generation, you'll learn a couple of things. Uh, and one of the things you'll learn is a new vocabulary. Uh, they teach you some new words like Riz and like Stan and these like crazy words. In fact, some just really weird language. There was a guy who, as a joke, made a Gen Z translation of the Bible. And he took common Bible verses and said, what would it sound like if we used stereotypical Gen Z language to do a Bible verse? And so here's, maybe we're familiar with this and maybe we're not. This is from Jesus being baptized, says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The Gen Z version says this. When John the Baptist, who literally had no drip, baptized Jesus, he said, it's giving savior of the world. And so this is the difference. You learn some new vocabulary like drip. Uh, more, so, some things you learn when you work with students. Another one you learn when you work with the next generation is this kind of age-old phrase is true. That more is caught than taught. 
Uh, parents in the room, maybe you relate to this a little more. You feel this. Um, and so there's, I know it's kind of not okay, but there's something about videos that I, of kids that I love where they, the, the kid is doing some task, whatever, and then they say a bad word, and the parent goes, where'd you learn that? And they go, dad! Uh, because they just picked up something, like caught something from, from dad that he maybe said in the shop or something like that. Um, like, I don't want to step on any toes, but the reality is, parents, that your kids are learning how to react when someone cuts you off in traffic from you. Uh, and so whatever they do, they might be catching on to the way you're responding to people in heavy traffic. Uh, so these are just some of the things that you start to learn when you work with students. And, and I love that more is caught than taught. And it's true that throughout all of history, one generation has learned from the next. This is not an old thing. My generation learned to dream big and work hard for success from Gen X. The idea that if you want it done right, do it yourself was passed down from one generation to mine. Things and ideals like family and work life and faith, it's all things that are passed down from one generation to the next. And my friend recently told me this, and I think this is so powerful. He said, priorities create legacies. I'll give you a second to process that. Priorities create legacies. And the way you prioritize things in your life, the way you prioritize money and family and health and different types of things actually has an effect on the next generation, probably more than you're almost willing to admit. That your priorities create legacies. And there's a reality this morning that I think is worth noting, and it's this, that there's kind of this parade of life that happens when you talk about generations. Uh, we've been to parades. We're familiar with parades a little bit. There's uh, uh, bands and acts and things that'll come down the road, and we get to stand on the side or sit in our lawn chairs and watch each one come by, and each person is walking perfectly in line, and they're perfectly spaced between each person, and each band is in their own block, followed by another block, and they're all walking the same direction, which is different from this parade of life that exists with generations. The reality of the parade of life is that we're all kind of walking it together. Generations are intermingled, and we unfortunately don't really know when the end of our parade will be. There's a, there's a grim reality this morning that we're all kind of walking towards this end-of-life goal, and none of us know what that timeline looks like. In this parade of life, bands are organized and all these things happen, but we're walking. We don't know when the end of ours will be, and we have no choice but to participate. You're not a, a bystander chilling in the lawn chair watching this parade go by. You're actively a part of it, whether you want to be or not, walking with people from each and every walk of life. And we often think that as we age, our influence and impact and role on the next generation changes. And while that's true that it maybe changes a little bit, the reality is that because of the parade of life, because we're walking with people from other generations, because of all these things, your role with the next generation never really ends. There's a reality this morning that when it comes to the question of the next generation, you're not really off the hook, no matter what stage of life you find yourself in. Why is, is maybe my question. Well, it's because I believe that this is actually not only what God invites us into, but God commands us to be in this parade of life with people from other generations. Well, if you've got your Bibles or your phones this morning, I'll give you a second to turn there. We're going to be in Joshua 4. Uh, you can pull out your phone or Bible, whatever you got with you. It's also going to be on the screen. And we're going to look at a story, but I'll give you some, some background while you're getting there to Joshua 4, front kind of part of your Bible. Uh, we meet this guy Moses pretty early in the Bible. And as we read the Bible, we learn that Moses is actually like kind of a big deal, right? Uh, but Moses was this person that was chosen by God to lead the next generation of Israel into the promised land and cross the Jordan River. He's been in this process for now almost 40 years of kind of wandering in the desert, waiting for the green light from God to cross the Jordan River. 
And so Moses, after almost 40 years of leading people through the wilderness, gathers up everyone, the whole entire nation of Israel, the next generation of Israel, and he gathers up all these people together. And if your leader is gathering you together and is going to make a big announcement, you would assume there's some hype around it, like you're excited and maybe this is the time we've been waiting for for almost 40 years. And he gathers them all together and he gets in front and he says, I am old. And he dies. Great story. Uh, And we meet Joshua now. And Joshua is the person that comes after Moses, who's now been given the blessing by God to lead the next generation of Israel into the promised land now that Moses is gone. And so uh, we, we, cross, we see Israel cross the Jordan River. There's this miraculous thing where the river actually stops flowing and the ground dries up so they can cross the river. And as they're crossing and they cross, we get to Joshua 4, and it says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. It will use these stones to build a memorial. Uh, Often when we have, maybe we've read this scripture or you've heard of this kind of general story before of of using stones as a memorial, we often think of cairns, which are these uh, like rock formations that people stack. You'll often see them maybe at a beach or on a hiking trail, maybe familiar with what those look like. In this example, the stones he's talking about are actually like massive because what they were going to do is go place them in the middle of a river and they had to not be washed away. And there's a reason why he tells one person to carry like one stone per person and carry it on your shoulder. We don't typically carry like just a, a little like rock skipping rock on our shoulder. It was, it, the, the rocks, the stones were actually probably about the, si- the, the biggest that these guys could carry. And we come to Joshua, we keep reading in here and it says, in the future, Joshua says this, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Joshua knew that the next generation and every generation would need signs and reminders, examples, memorials to to look at and to catch the power and presence of God. Now, now this type of altar and that's described in this story is actually pretty common in this place in the world. Uh, this would not be something that would be, you'd randomly come upon and be like, what in the world is that? But to find this type of memorial in the middle of a river that's kind of impossible to access with fast and flooded and, and moving water and all those things, that's when you're going, how in the world did this get here? Like, what is it? And they're arranged in it. What is, how, how is this possible? What is this supposed to mean? Uh, This memorial wasn't made just for the people who were placing it, though. The reality is that they were actually going to place this memorial and leave. A lot of times when we we memorialize things, we come back to look at them, but they were going to leave because this memorial, Joshua knew that there was a need for the next generation, that they needed signs to know who God is. And in this parade of life, Joshua knew that there was something that he was uniquely positioned to do that would impact generations down the road. Uh, These rocks didn't have anything special about them. I've got one here. This is uh, from a hike that I was on in New Mexico one time, and I just thought it was cool, Uh, so presenting the New Mexico rock. There was nothing special. These stones that these guys picked up, there was nothing special about them. They weren't glowing or prophesied over. Uh, They weren't, like, uh, floating, like, in a video game where you kind of, like, can acquire the, you know, like, whatever you're you're getting. Uh, There was nothing special about these rocks. The reality is that they used something that God placed right in front of them, a completely ordinary thing, to remind people in the future of the power and presence of God. 
So these stones that existed, there was nothing special about them, but they chose to give impact and purpose. And, and as teachers, we, as, as pastors and teachers, we love, love, love teaching aids. We love being able to have things that help us illustrate a story or different things like that. And we see a really awesome one here in this story, that they chose to use what God had placed around them to show the next generation who Jesus really was. And uh, this idea of memorializing things actually comes a lot more naturally to us than you might imagine. Um, does anyone in the room have a framed picture in their house? Yeah, a couple of us. Uh, do you, have you ever had like a, maybe like a drawing that your child did? That was on the, it was the refrigerator artwork, right? Like, we're actually really natural at memorializing things. This is the shelf in my cube uh, in the office, and it's full of all types of things that I've kind of memorialized. And so I've got, like, woodworking projects from my grandpa, and I've got a Bob Ross paint party painting up here that I did with some friends. Um, these are, these are, right here, these are called nunchucks. They're nuns, and there's a little rope between them, and you can use them as one of those things. Um, the Rock, of course, made it up there. Uh, there's my first place champion trophy of the uh, go-kart championship that I might, <clears throat> may have been the only person racing in it, but I won it, so that's cool. So there's all types of, of kind of things that, that I've memorialized here, and we all memorialize things all the time. Maybe you've collected a rock from a road trip to just remind you of the stop where you had to, the, the place where you had to stop on the side of the road to do whatever people decide to do when they're stopping on a long road trip, right? We won't get into it. Maybe for you, you kept your Taylor Swift ticket from the concert uh, because it was just such an awesome night for you. We all memorialize things. And on my desk in college, uh, all throughout my, the jobs I've had, I've had this toy here. Does anyone know what this is called? Jacob's Ladder, thank you. Yeah, this is called the Jacob's Ladder. It's a really simple toy. I'm not quite sure how it works. There's something with these little ribbons that make it do what it does. Uh, I really don't know how it works, and it's a really simple toy. But it's the one thing on my desk that constantly people ask me, what, what is that? What is this thing? And I get to do my little show and tell thing, and that's super fun. Uh, but there's actually a, a deeper story with this toy. Uh, when I was talking about that camp I went to in middle school that I flirted with everyone at, right? Uh, the, my camp counselor that year, his name was Roger. Roger is a 70-year-old, now-retired high school math teacher. Uh, Roger brought his 12-string guitar to play us his original songs every night before bed. When you think of the ideal hero middle school camp counselor, Roger may not be the person that you think of. Roger brought his bike to camp because the walking was just a lot for him. Uh, Roger did, made us answer Bible trivia questions to eat, uh, which felt archaic at the time, uh, which it's cool that we did that, but we were the only cabin in the whole entire camp that had to do that. Roger would wear this Larry Boy t-shirt around, and if you don't know who Larry Boy is, let me just briefly describe, because I don't expect you to. Larry, imagine the most like awful-looking cartoon character you can, but make it Christian. Uh, that's kind of what Larry Boy looked like. And so he would wear this shirt around. This is the type of person that Roger was. And when you think of the ideal camp counselor that's the hero of camp, you may not think of a retired high school math teacher that plays 12-string guitar and makes students answer trivia questions to eat. Uh, this year at camp, when he was my counselor, uh, so I've had type 1 diabetes for 22 years of my life, and this year that Roger was my counselor, my insulin pump that basically keeps me alive, long story short, uh, malfunctioned, and we didn't know. Uh, and so night came, and I started not feeling too great, and I checked my blood sugar, and the meter that I check my blood sugar with, it, if it goes, if your blood sugar is above 500, it just says high. 
uh, my meter said high, and for those unfamiliar, your blood sugar should be, for me, about between 80 and 120. And I was now over 500. Uh, I was in ketoacidosis, which is another, like, I won't explain it, but just know that it's, like, not good to be in. Uh, I felt awful. I was throwing up about every five minutes for four or five hours straight. I was in really, really bad shape. Uh, I felt awful. And uh, finally, my, my parents could get up there, but the whole entire time that I was not doing well, Roger was right by my side. He was helping me get around because I was pretty weak at this point. He was getting me water anytime I needed it. Uh, he stayed up all night with me, all through the night, to, to make sure I was okay until my parents got there. My parents came, they took me into town to, to get checked out and get help, and, and believe it or not, they actually dropped me off back at the camp the next morning. Um, but when they dropped me off back at the camp, I immediately went and found Roger, and I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry uh, that I made you stay up all night, but thank you so much for taking care of me. And I also apologized for throwing up all night that he had to listen to that. And here's what he had to say. He said, you know, DJ, uh, it's kind of relaxing. If you close your eyes, it just kind of sounds like a waterfall. Um, <laughs> and so that's the type of person Roger was. But the, also, the other side of the type of person that Roger was is he said, hey, I want to tell you why I, I hung out with you through all of that. Uh, it's because I think that God is doing something really cool in your life. I can see that God is calling you to something this week, and it's really exciting, and I want to be a part of that. Uh, this is just a toy. It really doesn't have any meaning, but Roger got me this uh, as a senior gift for my senior year of high school um, that he kept up with me, and, and this really has no meaning. But to me, this is a memorial. This is a, a stone that reminds me not only of how God was with me on a health scare, but also of how Roger helped call me to ministry, helped me respond to what God was doing in me that week. And this is a, a huge part of my story, but it's, it's just a meaningless toy really doesn't have any special meaning except for the fact that it was chosen by someone that used it to activate this like meaning that it has. We can fill our lives with all kinds of things and clutter, but I'm convinced that God actually gifts us simple things and small things and positions them all around us in a multitude of ways to help us remember him. And not only remember him, but help us point the next generation to who he is. The memorials that God wants and commands us to build to proclaim the power and presence of God to generations to come. This is standard. We memorialize things and pictures. This is in uh, Psalm 102. It says, let this be recorded, like we do sometimes with pictures, different things. Let this be recorded for future generations so that the people that aren't even born yet will praise the Lord. This idea of creating memorials isn't that new of an idea for a generation not yet born for future generations. So that people in the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that will praise the Lord. And I think that God gives us things and, and hobbies and experiences and, and tokens and things that help us remember who he is and position us perfectly to proclaim his power to the next generation. And they really mean nothing. The pictures that we pass in the hallway of our house every single day and we really don't look at anymore or the item that we collected on a trip years ago because we thought it would be cool to keep that we really don't even think about anymore, they, they, they really don't mean anything until we choose to activate them and do what God invites us into and in using things to point people to him. And God is inviting us into this practice. Now, I want to go back to this for just a second. Joshua used this specific quote. In this verse here, he says, in the future, if your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Now, if they ask, no, 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 no. This says, in the future, your children will ask you. If we've learned anything from kids, parents in the room, you'd get this. If we learned anything from kids, we know they ask questions, right? 
your children and the next generation as a broad group of people will ask you, what does this mean? What, who is this picture of? All, what, is, like, what are all these things? And in this parade of life, people will ask questions about you and about your life and, and the things of who you are, which begs us this morning and asks a question, does your life tell a story? When you're asked about the little item on your desk or, or on your wall or on your bedside table or in your car, or if you're, when you're asked about who's on your phone screen background, like, does, are you able to use that to tell a story of who Jesus is, the goodness and faithfulness of God? When we think about people who influence the next generation, we often think of younger people, college-age people. Um, like I even asked AI just for fun. I said, hey, generate what, it, what the ideal small group leader looks like that's investing in the next generation. And it generated tons of college-age students. But that wasn't Roger's story. And when Joshua was charged into leading the next generation of Israel into the promised land, that wasn't his story. Joshua was almost 80 years old and Roger was in his 70s. We think of these people that change lives. Roger changed my life and he was in his 70s. And this is a principle that, that really like, this is not new. Again, this is from uh, Psalm 7118. It says this, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to who are to come. See, the reality is you're never off the hook with the next generation. And you may be sitting here today and you may be going like, cool. I'm not a conversationalist. I'm not the type of person that's going to lead a small group. I don't have time. Or I, I like, you know, we, we quickly make excuses and that's okay. This morning, what I want to do is I want to invite you into three simple practices that I think can ignite your life for being able to tell a story with your life. It can help you impact the next generation through your story. And I want to do this. And we're going to break this down with three things. The first one is be a noticer. When it comes to the next generation, do you notice when they're around you? Uh, when you walk around the atrium on Sunday mornings, do you see kids and students? Uh, do you realize that on an average Sunday, a student might hold the door for you and a student may actually pour your coffee for you? They may, uh, right now, students are actively helping teach your children about Jesus in Heartland Kids. And right now, students are helping middle school students learn about who Jesus is and make Jesus first. And, and in the past and, and in the present, we have students who are actively teaching and preaching and leading small groups and leading Bible studies with other students. Do you notice students around you when, when you're noticing students, what can you do to encourage what you're seeing? And that actually leads us to the next one, is this, be an encourager. I think one of the most powerful things you can do to, to empower the next generation is just to simply encourage them. To, to tell someone, like, like if you see a student that's all decked out in their theme gear for a Friday night game and you're at the concession stand there in front of you, can you be like, dude, I love that you went all out for your school. Or if you see a student that's bagging your groceries at, at, at High V, can you go like, hey, love that you're working here. Thanks for what you're doing. It really makes a difference that I don't, like that you did this for me and it really helps me. Maybe it just takes 10 more seconds of talking to the Starbucks employee as you're getting your coffee, saying, hey, why do you love coffee so much? If you want to learn people, why do you like coffee is a great question. Typically, people have a story with it. But if you see a student wearing an orange lanyard on, on Sunday mornings around here walking around the atrium, that means that they're serving in our middle school ministry. How can you encourage them and say, hey, I hope you have an awesome time serving. Thank you for your impact on the next generation. I understand that we might not all be conversationalists, and I don't think that's what God's calling us to. God used Moses despite his stutter, and God uses me despite my awkwardness, and God uses you despite your whatever you got going on. But God wants to use you and invite you into loving the next generation. 
And believe it or not, the next generation is actually open to talking to you. As weird as that sounds, like they actually want to have conversation. I asked a few of our high school students, I said, hey, uh, what do you wish older generations knew about you? And I want to just share a quote with you from Lucy, a sophomore girl. She said, don't be scared of us. What a great opening line, right? Uh, we, we feel this, though, the reality on both sides of this, right, as the older and the younger generations. Don't be scared of us. We don't want to be avoided. We love this church just as much as anyone else, and we would love to talk to you. Can you encourage students uh, anywhere you go? Uh, James is a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old, I love this, who, whose favorite part about Heartland is working at the coffee bar. Uh, he's there as much as he can be. He said he loves it because, well, I'll let him tell it. He's got a quote here. He says this, if I go to my room where his programming is at Heartland on Sundays, he says, I only get to say hi to those people. But if I serve coffee, I get to say hi to basically everyone. Plus, serving coffee makes people's day, and it's fun to make people's day. James is like kind of my hero, a 10-year-old that's doing this. And people like James are kind of my hero. They're awesome. And the last one I want to invite you to, to this morning is, is be an introducer. Now, I saved the most awkward one for last. Uh, there's a reason why the, our go-to move when we see people at the grocery store is the nod, the like, Right? Like that's, that's how we like to get to know people is we're content with just nodding and, and calling it good. Or that's why our number one question is like, uh, how's the weather? Or like, uh, beautiful weather we're having, isn't it? Or like, how was your weekend? Like really simple stuff because introducing and being known and knowing people can actually kind of get um, awkward. We have this phrase we use at Movement, and McKenna called it out, and so you've heard it, and I'm going to give you the fill in the blank, and we've got some students here that are going to help. But we have this phrase, it's a rule at Movement, and it's this, we embrace the... Awkward. Thank you. Yes, this is a rule that we have at Movement because the reality is, and maybe you'll disagree with me and that's okay, I would, I would differ, but life is awkward. Agree? There are awkward things that happen every single day and all types of encounters and all types of interactions with all types of people. And if you're going to introduce yourself to someone, it may kind of be awkward. But when we embrace awkward moments, really incredible things can happen. So I encourage you, like, brace, embrace the awkward and introduce yourself. When you're getting your coffee, like, don't just, like, say thanks for the coffee, which, say that too. But introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm, you know, DJ, and I appreciate you. This is like the third week in a row you've poured my coffee. I love that you do this. Get to know people and encourage people. These three things, being a noticer, an encourager, and an introducer, really, I think, opens the door to proclaiming the power of God to the next generation. You might find an opportunity to share uh, how God's been faithful to you or, uh, or how you had a prayer answered or something that you're currently praying for. And, and I don't want to miss this opportunity either. Some of you are actually doing this every single week. There are people at Heartland that are, are living out this, this life. I, I want to tell you Dwayne's story. Dwayne is a small group guys leader at Movement. He just graduated a class of seniors out, and he actually went back to another class this year. And he told us this story a few weeks ago, uh, that he was with his small group a couple years ago. One of the guys was having a pretty major extreme surgery. And they they, he took his small group to the hospital, and they prayed and hung out with this guy who was in the hospital about to have the surgery. And while they were in the hospital room, the father who wasn't a believer, who didn't know Jesus, stepped out of the room and was actually just pretty overcome with emotions and couldn't really comprehend why someone would love his son the way that he and his small group do. Dwayne, imagine that impact, not only just on the next generation, but on his generation that he had by doing that. And this is the type of person that Dwayne has been for now 10 years serving in student ministry. 
There are countless people. There's, there's Shelly. Uh, Shelly greets students on Sunday mornings at the door at MOVE. Shelly is a constant uh, encourager, a constant introducer, a constant noticer that helps students and families know uh, that they're welcome at a space like MOVE. She's in her late 50s, an empty nester, uh, tons of grandchildren that keep her busy, but she finds time to invest in the next generation. Riley and Danny are both college students in their early 20s. Riley's a cheerleader at MNU, and, and Danny is a softball player at Park University. Uh, in the middle of their busy schedule, their, their like relational schedule, and their academic calendar, and, their, and their, their, their athletic schedule, and all the different things, they find time weekly to pour into students. And they're so loved by students. They go to camps and conferences and they are so, so, so awesome. Doug, uh, grilled burgers for our fall kickoff, a father of a college age and high school student. His, his life is definitely busy. We maybe relate to this. He found time to feed over a hundred high school and middle school students burgers. He brought his own grill and I'm not jealous of his grill, so don't ask me. But Doug is an awesome guy that invested his time in the things that Jesus placed around him to bless other people. Jen uh, runs tech for MOVE, our middle school ministry. Jen is a 51-year-old task-oriented introvert. She's she's single, has no kids, and loves her cat sherm. Uh, She started serving with no interest or skill. She didn't have something that like she could do on the to serve on tech team, and she wasn't necessarily even interested in serving with that. But what she thought was, I love this quote, she said, uh, I have time and I could learn to hit a few buttons. So what Jen gave was her time, but what she caught was the energy and the, the like goofiness of, of the middle school students. And she fell in love with being a part of helping create a fun and safe environment where students can be themselves and learn about their next steps with Jesus and in life. The reality is that we could tell story after story after story. But what I'm getting at is the reality that there's no mold for what it looks like to be involved with the next generation. It doesn't look like being a small group leader all the time, and it doesn't always feel like this deep burden. The reality is that you are never off the hook when it comes to the next generation. They're walking on this parade of life right next to you. And I'm convinced that you're actually closer to the next generation than you might realize. Uh, You may see them all over. Think about the students that walk home from school through your neighborhood the students that you maybe see at games, at your kids' games, or think about the friends that your kids bring over to your house. Like, is your house the place that people want to be? Your impact runs deeper than you realize. Think about this building right now. In just a few minutes, you're going to walk outside these doors and you're going to see the next generation running back and forth through our atrium, running around in the new kids' space that we have. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's awesome. And just take in the reality that this is the generation that not just me as a high school pastor is called to, but actually you're called to as well. Generation to generation, there's a truth that stands true in every church and in every dialogue and in every culture, and it's this, that generations are hungry for Jesus. Generations are hungry to know the goodness and the faithfulness and the power and the presence of the God that loves you. And this is the mission that we're all invited to and commanded to fill in leading the next generation to know the power and presence of Jesus. Which this morning begs us just one simple question that if we're gonna use our stories, it's this, does your life tell a story? Well, if your life does tell a story and you can see the power and presence of God through your life year to year and day to day, who can you share that with? 
How can you use that story to impact someone's day or impact someone's minute of, of a hard day or their life or their story or whatever they've got going on? How can you use that story? God gave you your story for a reason. It's not worthless. Your story is not empty or void. It's something that God commands you and invites you to use. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like my life really doesn't have a story and I don't like this idea of being used and commanded by a God is, is uncomfortable for me. If you're new to this idea and maybe that's like stirring something in you, even if you just have questions, uh, first of all, we love that you're here. We're so thankful that you felt safe enough to come to a place like this, but we want to invite you into that feeling that you may be having and encourage you that there is a story that God is writing in your life right now. And we would love to help you find that pathway. I'll be up, uh, up here at the end of the service and would love to talk to you uh, about what that may look like in the story that God is writing in your life. But the reality is that God has given us each a story and invites us to use that to influence the next generation. You're never off the hook. And a cool thing, you're never alone in it either. We, we love having a team of people that get to serve with students and love working with the next generation because the reality is that every generation needs a place and has a desire to make space for building relationships that make Jesus first. And we love to be a part of that. Will you pray with me this morning? God, this morning, uh, the question, does our life tell a story? For some of us, we may look at that question and say, yes, and I don't really like to think about that story. Um, there may be things that we shy away from or we're uncomfortable with or that we uh, just don't want to deal with. Uh, if, I want to acknowledge that those people in the room, God, you love to meet those people exactly where they're at in their story. God, maybe our story is that we're so excited and amped up about what you're doing in our life. God, we ask that you'd help us tell that story. Uh, that you'd help us embrace the awkward. God, thank you that you love us enough that you uniquely position around us people, um, your people, who can influence us. And as one generation points to the next, we just ask that you would continue to do that in us, this work that you started years ago and these incredible stories in Scripture, the work that you're now continuing at Heartland and God, the work that you want to invite us into. We ask that you just continue to do what you're doing in us this morning. Help us notice Help us encourage and help us introduce ourselves to the next generation. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Heartland, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I uh, encourage you as you go out, just like take a look at the next generation around you and uh, have a great Labor Day and we'll see you next week.